Well, my name is Adam Drago. For those of you that I have the privilege of meeting, and I'm one of the elders slash pastors at Missio Church. And uh, I was coming into Missio right as you all were preparing to leave Missio. So I joined officially uh, the team of Missio back in July of last year, and I was able to celebrate the sending of this church shortly after. And so it's a privilege. Uh, it's the first time I've had the opportunity to be here and preach. Not the first time I've been able to worship with you guys, but uh, consider it a privilege to open up the scriptures with you and uh, and partner with you. You know, I grew up here in Syracuse, and so to see uh, the church multiply and expand and to see the gospel spread here in this place that I grew up in is, is an exciting thing. And that's really what uh, initially for me began the relationship with Missio. I've been here my whole life, but met uh, Jordan and Jim and Bernie, three of the pastors there back in 2008, really, as they were just planting, and to hear a vision for the city, not about just planting a church or establishing a congregation, but to hear a vision for the city, to extend the gospel to every man, woman, and child, to partner with other congregations, to plant new churches, really was something that I got excited about, so began hanging out there and uh, more and more, spending more time in the city, and eventually joined the team just last year, and so it's great to see the fruit of our relationship and, and to be here and, and worship with you guys. So. We're going to continue uh, where you guys have left off in Acts chapter 9. But first of all, I want to ask Matt if he uh, put up, whoever's back there, a map of, of the United States. There we go. Okay. So you can see this map. This map has two things. It shows the density of population and it shows diversity of population. So it shows density of population. You can see the colors like you can see right around New York City where it gets almost purple in Boston down to Philly, right? Because it's so densely populated over to the west where it's pretty sparse. Right? So it shows density. It also shows diversity in the colors. Right? So blue is Caucasian, uh, green is African American, orange is Hispanic, red is Asian. So you can see some of the colors. And if you got closer, you can see a little bit better. So it shows the density and diversity of the United States. But what you can't see is that it actually consists of about 300 million little dots, right? So if you go to the next picture, there we go. That's what it looks like right where we are. Buckley Road runs kind of diagonally right through the middle of that picture, right? And so it's that huge map, if you were to zoom all the way into where we are, it's all these little tiny dots representing every person that lives in this area. And it's kind of similar to the passage that we're going to be in tonight. And that last week where Jeremy left off, in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says this, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So you start with this big picture, this macro picture of the gospel spreading throughout this region and the church growing and multiplying. But in tonight's passage, the very next verse we're going to get to is Luke tells the story of a particular place a particular man named Aeneas. And as we think about what God has called us to together, to, to, to give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel without coming or going anywhere, and we think about our entire community, we realize that it boils down to one person, to one individual, being transformed by Jesus Christ. That this massive movement that we read about in Acts, right, it starts with 120 people in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 4, it says it's, it's about 5,000 men when they count it. And then some conservative estimates say that by the year 300, it was at least 5 million people who claimed to be followers of Jesus. So this massive movement that, to be honest with you, as we read through the book of Acts, it's exciting to think about. 
It's exciting to start from 1A with Jesus' declaration that you'll be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And to see it start to happen, as you guys have been reading about and studying together, right? what this passage we're going to look at tonight, what this reminds us is that this massive movement of the gospel is made up of individual after individual that's being transformed by Jesus Christ. And so, as it spreads, right, we're reminded of this, and we're reminded as we'll see tonight, that the focus of this mission, the focus of this ministry is Jesus. And that the fruit of this ministry is people turning to Jesus. So those are the main things we're going to see tonight. That the focus of this mission, this massive movement, the focus is Jesus. And that the fruit of it is people turning to Jesus. So look with me, if you will, Acts chapter 9, verse 32 through 35. It says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now when we last heard of Peter, he was preaching the gospel in Jerusalem, right, in Acts chapter 8, and in this passage, he begins to move outside of Jerusalem. It says specifically right, that he went here and there among them all. So referencing the church that's spoken of in, in verse 31 right before that, this church that is multiplying and spreading all over Judea and Galilee and Samaria, Peter, it says, is going here and there visiting them all, right, visiting the believers and the churches that have been planted. But it says, down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And so it's lit as a city about northwest of Jerusalem. But it says, He found a man there named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years who was paralyzed. So we start with this kind of, even in verse 32, this macro view of Peter traveling to all of these different places. But Luke wants to tell us the story of a particular man who lives in a particular place. Right? Certainly there are thousands of stories that could be told. Right? Think of all those believers in all of these different places and those churches multiplying. How many lives have been transformed? How many people does that include? But he goes from traveling through all of these places, right, Luke says, now he's going to tell us the story of a particular person in a particular place. One of many stories of transformation that he could have told, but this is the one that God puts in this passage. And so, there must be a reason for this particular story. There must be a reason why Luke chose this place in this man. Right? Why the details of this particular person? I think one reason is to show us just as Jesus had promised that the gospel is, in fact, moving out from Jerusalem, right? Because for us, we think about, well, big deal, we don't know where Lydda is. We don't know where that happens to be. But the reality is what Luke is trying to say is that the gospel is going out as Peter is extending his travel outside of Jerusalem, right? Another reason, I think, is to show us how the gospel spreads, that in the broad scope of Peter's ministry, in the broad scope of the ministry of the church, right, it comes down to, as we said, individual encounters with Jesus. And it can be easy to lose sight of this. You know, as we read about things like there were added that day about 3,000 people. Right? Or as we hear stories of ministries that we're connected to in Cuba, right, where house churches are multiplying like crazy. Right? Or for ministries we're connected to in India. Right? And in particular, Jordan just got back and tells the story of one particular church who's planted like 60 other churches, and within that there's 6,000 6, believers that have come to know the Lord. And so it can be easy to lose sight in the midst of all of those numbers and all of that growth. 
but to remember that it comes down to people, individuals being transformed by Jesus Christ, that that is what makes up this movement. When you think about our mission statement that we share, that we exist to glorify God by equipping Christ's people to live faithful lives of worship as we give every man, woman, and child the opportunity to see and hear the gospel without coming or going anywhere. And as we put maps up on the wall and we talk about what we could do and we dream, right, that can easily become a theme. It can easily just become a vision that we cast. But the reality is, it comes down to every person, every individual, every man, woman, and child seeing and hearing responding to the gospel does not happen right, without individuals being transformed by Jesus Christ. It's a big vision encompassing lots of people, but ultimately it requires each one. So that I think the details of this story, the reason he chooses to show a particular place and a particular person is to highlight this individual and how Christ transforms his life. So he tells us this, he's been bedridden for eight years, so that really it shows us the extent of his paralysis. And Luke being a doctor, it throws in those details of his paralysis, really so that we get an understanding of just how difficult his life is, just how extensive this disease is, so that as Jesus heals him, we have a greater appreciation for what he is able to overcome. Right? It shows the severity of his condition, which ultimately just reveals to us the power of Jesus Christ to save, to overcome sin and death. And so he says to him, Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And that's all, that's all we get. Those are the only words we get from this particular encounter, which for this man changes his life forever. These are the only words that Luke gives us, but the reality is it's the only words that we need. So let's look at this together. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. The first thing that I think that reveals to us is that Peter understands an important reality here. He understands that it is Jesus who is working to build his church. Right? It kind of reminds us of in Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John encounter a man right at the gate going into the temple. It says he's been lame from birth. He's asking for money. And Peter says to this guy, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately he's healed. And everyone sees him and they're amazed at what has happened in his life. And it says that then Peter right, goes on to share the gospel with everybody there in Acts chapter 3. He explains that it was through faith in Jesus that this man was healed. Right? And so a very similar passage that we find here. And it reminds me of at the end of Mark chapter 16 in one of the great commission passages where it says, So then, that the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken these things to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. And it says, They went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And what I love about that passage at the end of Mark is what it says, they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. Notice the fact that Jesus in that, according to this passage, is not sitting by passively right, while his followers are out spreading the gospel. He is actively engaged in the mission of his church. Right? We can say it even stronger. He is actively leading the mission of his church. Even though it says he went and sat at the right hand of God, make no mistake, he didn't sit down and say, okay, I sent you guys, I gave you the commands, it's on you now. Right? It says they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them. And so Peter rightly recognizes, he understands the reality 
that Jesus is the one who is continuing to work and continuing to build his church. Right? At times we can struggle to believe this because, number one, we don't, we don't see him with our eyes. Right? Physically, we don't see him here. As you may see your leaders, right? or as you may see each other engaged in the mission of the church. But the reality is, right, the scripture says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so we can doubt his presence, we can doubt his power. But the truth is, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is actively engaged in his mission to continue to build his church. Right, we read things in Acts, like in 2.47, where it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right? It doesn't say that the, that the disciples went out and added to their number. It says that the Lord added to their number. Daily, those who were being saved. Or 11.21, it says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Right? Or in Acts chapter 14, it says, They remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, right? who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Right? I love this relationship as you think about it. They're out boldly proclaiming the gospel. right? And it says, While the Lord bore witness to the things that they were saying. Right? Again, not sitting passively, not waiting for them to engage so that he can act, but actively leading and actively building his church. Right? Engaged in the mission that he began, that he established. Right? He is actively leading, and so Peter recognizes it is Jesus who heals. It's his mission. It's his purpose. It's his power. Right? We're, we are a part of what he is doing because of our relationship with him. And so he is at the core of everything we do. To put it simply, the focus of our mission, the focus of our ministry, as I said at the beginning, is Jesus. Right? And so it's a simple statement that Peter utters to this man. Jesus Christ heals you. But that makes a big deal, right, as we're engaged in the ministry of the gospel. Right? As we're out serving, as we're out praying for people, as we're out sharing the Gospels, we're living our lives as followers of Jesus Christ in the midst of this world. We recognize that the focus of everything that we do must be Jesus because it's His ministry, it's His purpose, it's His power. It can't be about us. We have no power. Peter doesn't say, I heal you, get up and walk. Without hesitation, it's Jesus Christ heals you. Because he knows that he is the one who is actively leading this mission. He is the one who is actively building his church. And it's he alone who has the power to save. And so the focus of everything that we do is Jesus. And notice the impact. It says, immediately he rose. Because his power is effective. And forget the fact that he was bedridden for eight years. What we see here is Jesus... Ability, his power to overcome sin and to overcome the effects of sin. And so we see that in this massive movement, in this massive spread of the church as the gospel is going out, right? And we know the, the rest of the story. If you've gone through Acts and you get a sense of where it's going, if you've been listening to the, to the preaching here, that what we're seeing happen is the fulfillment of, of Acts 1 8. You've probably heard that over and over and over again, right? I at least listened to the message before me, so I know that Jer said that last week. Right, that what we're seeing unfold is Acts 1 where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Right? It's a, spoken as a promise. Right? From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the only reason that's happening is because Jesus is actively leading this mission and bringing people to faith in himself. 
And so he has the power to heal. Like I said, it, it can be easy to doubt. It can be easy to trust in our own ability. It can be easy to trust in our own creativity. But the reality is the only reason this says immediately he rose is because Jesus Christ has the power to do this. And so look at the impact in verse 35. It says, And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. And so it's, again, this is like a big deal. What's Lydda? What's Sharon? But if he, I mean, a quick search shows you that Sharon is the region along the coast of the Mediterranean that extends about 30 miles north of Lydda. Right? That's all we really need to know. So about 30 miles north of this town where this guy lives is the impact of what Jesus has done in his life. Just think about that. About what he's saying here. The reason he gives us those details is because he's trying to show us that, in fact, the gospel is spreading. Right? And from this one miracle, it extends from this one town for about the next 30 miles north. And so it says that they turn to the Lord. The reality is you've got to think about how did that happen, right? We've got a very brief narrative, four verses, right? So we don't want to venture too far and make too many guesses, but the reality is right, somebody would have had to tell them what had happened. For this to extend for 30 miles, right, people would have had to have been talking. And I don't think it would have been enough for them to have just seen the miracle or heard the miracle from somebody who had been there for them to turn to the Lord, there must have been something else. It would have had to have been attributed to Jesus. There would have had to have been a, a verbal proclamation of the gospel, right, which isn't here in this passage. Right? So there's a lot of activity between the first part of verse 35 and the second part of verse 35, where it says, all the residents saw him, and they turned to the Lord. There must have been some opportunity for them to have also heard the gospel, just like we read about in Acts chapter 3, where the people see this man who is healed, this, this beggar at the gate, right? and then Peter gets up and shares the gospel along with him. So the gospel must have gone out during that time. Right? There must have been some sort of preaching of this guy's grace story, along with this physical sign, in order for people to turn to the Lord. See, they wouldn't have turned to him unless someone had explained what had happened and how it had happened. They wouldn't have turned to Jesus unless somebody had also attributed this miracle to Jesus and said, look at what Jesus did. And so Peter says rightly, Jesus Christ heals you. And then there must have been a whole bunch of people who have been saying, oh, Jesus Christ healed this man. Because if credit had been given anywhere else, the people wouldn't have turned to the Lord. So you must have had a whole bunch of people carrying this message, Jesus Christ healed him. Jesus Christ healed him. Jesus Christ healed him for 30 miles. So that it says all of the residents of this town, of this region, turned to the Lord. And so the, clearly the focus of their ministry is Jesus. And the fruit of their ministry is then people turning to Jesus. Because it says at the end that they turn to the Lord. And I think we've got to ask the question, right, is, that what, is that what we want? Is that the same thing that, that we desire for, the ministry, for this ministry? That we play a role in this mission? Right, for the part that God has called us to, is this what we desire because here's the result that he's going for. Here's the result that Jesus is bringing about, is that people turn to him. And, and it's an opportunity for, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, really it's an opportunity to kind of take our faults and say, look, are we really in this for the right reasons? Because this is the fruit of ministry. When it's all about Jesus, this is the fruit of ministry. People turning to the Lord. 
And so we look at this and we ought to get excited about it and say, Amen. This is what we want. It's not about filling up this place. Right? We know that. It's not about what we can accomplish. It's about people turning to Jesus. And in a lot of ways, this is what following him boils down to. It's desiring his glory more than our own. And that goes counter to our pride. It goes counter to our sinful nature. And so do we want the same thing? For people to turn to the Lord. It's an opportunity to check our motives. And say, yes, this is in fact what we want. This is the motive for what we are doing here. Right? This is the motivation for renovation and for missio, that people would turn to Jesus. Right? That those who are lost would turn to him in repentance. Right? That those who are already his would turn to him in worship. This is what we want. Right? It helps to purify our motives from anything that is about us, from anything that would draw attention to us. Because what we see in this passage is that the power belongs to Jesus. It's not about how creative we can get. It's not about our ability and how eloquent we can speak, how many people we know, or the things that we can do. The reality is, Peter knew Jesus Christ heals you. It can be tempting right, in this journey together, in the planting of a church, in the reaching of an area, to think about what can, what can we do? How can we get better? How can we perform better? And how can we get more creative? How can... The reality is the simple... Truth is really the most important thing that we need, that it is the power of Jesus Christ to heal and to save. Right? And so the focus of our ministry better be all about him. Well, preach. Simple statement, Jesus Christ heals you. Right? And so it relieves us, truthfully. I think it relieves us of anxiety right? and thinking that we've got to get this done especially as a young church, thinking that we've got to get this done. We've got to be somewhere in a year. Jesus Christ is building this church. Relieves us of anxiety. Preach. It relieves us of timidity. Because, sure, if it depends on us, then I'd be afraid. <laughs> I'd be nervous if it depended on me. But the reality is it says here, Jesus Christ heals you, and immediately he rose. We know that there is power in his name. We know that the power... The gospel is the power of salvation to those who believe. Right? So it frees us of any sense of timidity because we know that our boldness is in Jesus and his ability to save. And as I said, it frees us from depending on our creativity or on our ability and shifting and putting our trust completely in him. Because we know that the leader of this thing is Jesus. Right? We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to force things to happen. We don't need to work really hard just to get it done. Because we trust that Jesus is doing what he said he was going to do. And we trust that he has the power to save. And so we look at this, and as those who follow Jesus, we say, is this, is this what we want? Is this the end game that we really want? People to turn to the Lord. Right? And, and our, hopefully our resounding response is yes. This is why we do what we do. And for those of us who don't know him, again, it's, is, this, is this what we want? Is this what I want? Is, this, is he the one that I would put my trust in to heal me? To heal me of my sin? And to restore me back to God? As the one who alone who can provide life, is this the one that I want? 
because this is what he is capable of. And so as we look at this story of, of one man in one particular place, we're reminded that this is what he is able to do in our lives and what he is able to do all around us as we think about this mission to bring the gospel to every man, woman, and child. Let's not think of that so broad that we lose sight of each man, each woman, and each child that God has put in every neighborhood, wherever we go, in our workplace, our school. Think that this is what he has the power to do. Make no mistake, the leader of our mission, the leader of our ministry is Jesus. And so let's pray that the focus of what we do would be on Jesus. And that the fruit of what we do would be people turning to Jesus. And we'll trust that as we would boldness proclaim his name, and we trust him with the results. We trust him with what happens next. Right? But let's be faithful together in proclaiming the name of Jesus. And pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for passages like this. In the midst of, of these exciting passages of seeing the gospel go out, that you remind us, you tell us these stories, you give us this little snapshot of one man's life. Brief as it is, we thank you that you changed this man's life forever. And you used him, you used his story that many others would see and would turn to you. And so God, we rejoice and we celebrate that it's as we long for, as we pray for, for Clay and for Liverpool and for Baldwinsville, right, we think about this entire geography and we, pray, we, we long to see this entire geography turn to you. That is, I pray, what we want. And I pray that you would unite our hearts around that, that together what we would want is for people to turn to you, Lord. And help us to not get so lost in that big vision that we fail to see the people right next to us, the people in our lives every day, Lord, that you would use us, right? That we would remember that it's you who you are, that it is you who save, and that we would be quick to speak your name. And for those who haven't trusted in you, Lord, to realize that just as you could overcome this man's issue, this man's sickness, so you can overcome our greatest need to be reconciled to the Father, that you can overcome our sin. So I pray that those who don't know you, Tonight, that they would find you. That they would give their lives to you in faith and in repentance that they might turn to you. God, we thank you for the mission that you have called us to. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here at Renovation. May you continue to unite your church here around your son, Jesus. That we would be faithful in demonstrating and declaring the gospel together. Would you, would you give us boldness? Would you give us courage? Help us to trust you to build your church. We thank you that you will continue to work with us as we proclaim your gospel, just as we see here. In Jesus' name that we pray.